0: This beautiful countryside village in Kent was once named the most haunted village in all of Britain by the Guinness Book of Records. I will take you on a ghost walk of the village that appears to have one phantom for around every 60 living residents. And as we explore this delightful location, you will meet all manner of spectres, including a highwayman, a hanged schoolmaster, and even a ghostly horse-drawn carriage. Tonight, join me as we dare to take in a ghost walk along the haunted streets of Pluckley village. episode 22 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we find ourselves in Kent in the south-east of England, and ask, just how haunted is Plugney Village?
1: Listen at discretion is advised,
0: as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. The beautiful village of Pluckley is in the county of Kent in south-east England. Kent is one of the home counties, which is the name given to those counties that surround London. The origins of Pluckley date back at least a thousand years and when it was referenced in the Doomsday Book of 1086 it was called Pluckley, spelled P-L-U-C-H-E-L-E-I. It was a much more significant settlement comprising 31 households than nearby Ashford. By comparison today Pluckley has a population of a little over a thousand, whereby the town of Ashford has a population of around 74,000, which now includes the village of Pluckley. We know from the Doomsday Book that Pluckley was owned by the Archbishop of Canterbury, who at the time was Archbishop Lefranc, the first archbishop following the Norman conquest of 1066, who held the role from August 1070 until May 1089. He was an Italian man who had previously been an abbot in Normandy. Archbishop Lefranc would then give the village to an Anglo Saxon knight called John Follett to oversee. There was a Roman villa around a mile away at what is now Little Chart and a Roman road ran through what is now Pluckley, beneath what is now the Thorn Estate, towards the Pinnock and on through the woods. The spelling of the village changed during the 1100s, appearing in documents at the time as P-L-U-C-E-L-E-A and P-L-U-K-E-L-E. The village's parish church, dedicated to St Nicholas, dates mostly from the 13th and 14th centuries, with some more modern additions and alterations, it's believed that this was likely built on the site of an older Saxon church, dating to around 1090. The Doomsday Book doesn't mention a church in Pluckley, but it does confirm that there was a priest here at the time. The Deering Isle, separated from the rest of the church by two screens and found at the east end of the South Isle, was built in 1475. In June of 1348, the Black Death landed on the shores of England, and Pluckley's population was decimated by the plague which wiped out up to 60% of the population of Britain. The village of Pluckley had grown and expanded and had made its way downhill towards the forest. But the Black Death reversed this move for a time, as people mistakenly believed that the higher up you were, the healthier it was. So those who hadn't succumbed to the deadly disease moved back to the top of the hill in a desperate attempt to survive. In 1430, John Deering, originally from nearby Lyd, bought the manor of Surrendon to the east of the village. Over the next 200 years the Deerings would expand the land and the buildings that they held and soon they became the most important and influential family in the area. Their legacy remains today with the name Deering appearing all over the village as you will soon see. The first Baronet Sir Edward Deering who lived between 1598 and 1644 took over the manor which was by now called Surrendon House in 1636 following his father's death. He was a politician but is better remembered now for collecting a huge library of books, charters, maps and manuscripts. On the 5th of December 1623, he purchased two copies of William Shakespeare's first folio. This is the earliest recorded retail purchase of this famous book. Part of his enormous collection can now be found at the Centre for Kentish Studies at County Hall. But he is best associated with the Deering Manuscript, the earliest manuscript text of any Shakespearean play, this manuscript provides a single-player version of both Henry IV, Part One and Henry IV, Part II. The Deering manuscript is currently part of the collection at the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. Sir Edward invented an ancient Saxon pedigree for himself, in certain details, into various authentic documents, in installing fake monuments in the church. The origin of the Deering window likely came from a similar made-up beginning. It is claimed that the first baronet escaped from the Roundheads through a narrow, curved-top window at the manor. This led to the addition of deering windows to all of those houses by the Deering family during the Romantic Victorian era. The village grew further by the arrival of the railway in 1843, as the need for larger houses for the gentlemen who travelled to Pluckley for the shooting offered by the woods and the forests. A station master's house and a row of terraced houses was also constructed. A brickworks next to Pluckley Railway Station was opened in 1873 by the Kent Brick and Tile Company, with a man called John Porter as manager. This meant more housing being built for the workers. In 1928, the Deering Estate was sold off, and the village would change forever. Many tenants purchased the homes that they'd been renting, and tradesmen that existed at the time included a shoemaker, a butcher, a sweet shop, and a coffin maker. There was a windmill, but this burnt down in 1939 when it was struck by lightning. Surrendon House became a boy's school. During the Second World War, German bombing raids caused a huge amount of damage to the village, earning Pluckley the nickname, Bomb Alley. In 1952, a fire ravaged Surrendon House, all but destroying it, and it was never rebuilt. Today Pluckley is best known for the Darling Buds of May, which was filmed in the village, and three series of the popular TV programme were released between 1991 and 1993 on ATV in the UK. It was a lovely, easy-going, tea-time drama, which revolved around a family living on a farm in rural Kent in the 1950s. It starred David Jason, best known as Derek Delboy Trotter, in the brilliant BBC sitcom Only Fools and Horses, and it launched the career of Catherine Zeta-Jones. A darker side of Pluckney and one that wouldn't seem apparent to all unwitting visitors to the idyllic village and the unspoiled countryside, is that of its ghosts. In 1989 the Guinness Book of Records named Pluckley as the most haunted village in Britain, with it having 12 individual spectral residents, although those in the know believe that this is too low, and there are actually 16 phantoms to be found throughout the village. But well as you'll hear, according to the stories and legends associated with Pluckley, 16 may be nowhere near even close as to how many there could be. It's been written that this is a place of death. The category no longer exists in the popular annual book, but this hasn't prevented Ghostbusters flock into the small village, especially when the darker nights set in and Halloween comes around, so much so that there is an increased police presence in and around the village at this time of year. The popularity of Plutley is the place to go for anyone hoping to catch a glimpse of something otherworldly has been aided by appearances in TV shows, such as Most Haunted in 2007, Ghost Hunters International in 2008, and Celebrity Haunted Hotel Live in 2016. The locals aren't entirely delighted by the ghoul-seeking visitors who come to their village. In fact, in 2009, they even declared that Halloween in the village should be canceled, and asked for help from the police to chase off the hundreds of additional visitors. So let's show a little respect to the Pluckley residents as I take you on a guided ghost walk of Pluckley, the most haunted village in England. We will start in the south-east of the village, head north, working our way anti-clockwise or counter-clockwise as my friends across the pond may say, finishing in the south-west of the village, at arguably its most famous location. If you happen to live near Pluckley or plan to visit, you could actually listen to this while walking the route. Our starting point is the brickworks, which date from 1879. A man met his end here in a horrific manner, which has left its mark on this industrial site. There are actually three different versions of this sorry tale, and in the interests of thoroughness, I'll tell you all three, but I'll start with the most often told version of the story. In the 19th century, a brickworker was waiting for a clay wall to dry when it fell on him, crushing him to death. The blood-curdling scream of his final moment has been heard, repeated over and over again. His ghost isn't reported to have been seen, but those passing the building, when it's known to be empty, have heard screaming coming from within. An alternative version of this tale says the man fall down a clay hole, and his scream came as he plummeted to his inevitable death. The third and final account, which is little known, and different for two reasons. Firstly, This comes from an actual eyewitness of the accident. And secondly, this man doesn't die of his injuries, which leads to an interesting question. If he didn't die at that moment, could the disembodied scream still heard here today belong to this man? Former Pluckley resident William George Simmons was born in 1903 and was a bricklayer by trade. He would often tell of a horrible accident that he saw for himself. A man who worked at the brickworks caught his arm in machinery and it was so badly damaged that he lost his arm. His screams of pain and terror as his arm was trapped inside this piece of equipment as it pulled and tore at his flesh echoed through the brickworks. And William said that it was his screams that are still heard at night. In 2021, two witnesses were left spooked as they drove past the brickworks and passed through a localised thick mist which contained pocket-like holes before they were back inside the mist, before eventually leaving it for good as you'll find out as we continue our walk. This is not the only screaming to be heard in the dead of night in Pluckley. The Deering Arms was originally an old hunting lodge. It was built in the 1840s for the Deering family, around the same time as the railway line from London to the Kent coast opened, as this would see gentlemen head to the countryside to join in hunts and shoots in the nearby woodlands and forests. Today there's a restaurant offering a fine dining experience, a bar offering many fine wines, as well as homemade gins and local ciders. And it's a B&B with three double rooms on offer, all named after prominent members of the Deering family. The majority of its guests most likely have no idea what they may be letting themselves in for by choosing to spend the night in this delightful old building. It's been claimed that after dark, this building comes alive. Chairs within the restaurant scrape across the floor, Loud footsteps are heard on staircases when there's nobody around, and objects have been seen moving across the bar before smashing to the floor. But the most commonly reported occurrence is the old lady, who sits in the bar at a table by the bay window. She is described as wearing a dress from the Tudor period, complete with a bonnet tied beneath her chin. The Tudor period was long before the Deering Arms was constructed, as the Tudor period was between 1485 and 1603. Which leads me to wonder if she was connected to a building that stood on this site before the present one. She is so solid that people comment upon her, wondering why she's dressed in such old-fashioned clothes. But then she simply fades away entirely. Rose Court is a Grade 2 listed early 19th century cottage. On an 1871 Auden survey map it's called Rose Cottage. It looks like the perfect picture-postcard English village home. What the house is best known for these days, though, is the Lady of Rose Court. She was a mistress of a member of the Deering family. And when the affair was ended by her lover, she was so broken-hearted that she went into the nearby forest and gathered some ivy berries. She mixed the bitter berries, which are deadly poisonous, into her tea. And one fateful afternoon between the hours of 4pm and 5pm, she drank the lethal brew surrounded by her two faithful dogs, and she died. An alternative version of the legend says that this young lady was in love with a monk, but you'll hear all about the monk further along our ghost walk. The lady sits in the garden of the cottage in the late afternoon at around the time that she killed herself. Some witnesses have claimed to see the tragic spirit accompanied by her dogs. Not far from Rose Court stands Greystones, a large white house on Station Road on the edge of the village. It was built in 1863 and is typical of the local style, complete with deering ring windows. It was originally called Rectory Cottage, as it was the home of the rector of St Nicholas's church. It was renamed Greystones in 1924. It is here that the aforementioned monk remains. The story of the lady is intertwined with the phantom found here. In this telling of the story, the young lady was in love with a monk, who loved her equally. They stole what little time they could together, and would have their romantic encounters in the little quiet lanes within the village. However their relationship was never easy, and the monk, who had taken a vow of celibacy, began to fear how his god would perceive their affair. He loved the young lady dearly, but he had to bring it to an end. Devastated, she drank her poisonous tea, stopping the pain she felt in her heart forever. And we all know that she now wanders the garden at Rose Court. The monk, hearing that she had committed suicide, was overcome by grief and died of a broken heart. His spirit now haunts grey stones, and he is seen throughout the house and the garden. If only these two tragic spirits were to meet, perhaps they'd both be able to finally rest in peace. The ghost of the monk was reported back in 1971 by a couple who were passing the house, and then again in 1989 by an American journalist, and he has not been reported since. The parish church of St Nicholas, the oldest building in Pluckley, is our next stop, and it's here that we find no fewer than four separate spooks. The Red Lady and White Lady stories have become a little bit muddied over the years, but let's look at each in turn. One of the Lady Deerings, which one has been lost to time, was pregnant, and she and her husband couldn't have been more excited than to welcome their first child into the world. However, tragically, the baby was stillborn, and she was never the same again. When she died, she was buried at the top end of the churchyard, a single red rose placed onto the top of her coffin as it was placed into the ground. This red rose is said to be where her name, the Red Lady, comes from. The Red Lady is seen weeping in the churchyard, searching for the unmarked grave of her stillborn baby. The White Lady was another lady of the Deering family, who sadly passed away at a young age. Her husband believed her to be the most beautiful woman on earth, so had her body placed inside a lead coffin which was placed inside of another lead coffin, and then inside of a third lead coffin. This was done in the hope of preserving her beauty eternally. These lead coffins were placed inside of an oak coffin, and she was laid to rest. However, it seems she never found peace, and she is set to roam the church, where she's seen wearing a magnificent white flowing dress. When she is unseen, she is blamed for the footsteps heard walking through the church. Locals have reported seeing through the church's window strange lights moving around inside after dark when it's known to be locked and empty. Could this too be due to the White Lady or could this be something else altogether? The White Lady isn't only seen at the church of St. Nicholas. She is also seen at her former home, the ruin of Surrendon House, adding strength to the long-held belief that there is a long lost tunnel that runs from beneath the church to the manor house. Despite it being destroyed in 1952, the young woman is seen flitting about the remains of the once-great house. An interesting claim was made during World War II when the house, which was a boys' school at the time, was used as a base for American troops, and it is claimed that they saw the white lady for themselves in the library of the house. Incidentally, and most likely completely unrelated to the white lady, in 1904 it was reported in newspapers that a visitor to the Surrendon House spotted a burning woman holding a baby running along the driveway. The witness fainted, and by the time she would recovered the figure had vanished. A woman has been seen within the church described as wearing mid 20th century clothing. She appears as almost transparent and her identity and connection to the church are completely unknown. The origins of the fourth and final ghost here are also unknown. A phantom white dog is seen in and around the church and appears to be extremely friendly. He sits outside the church patiently his tongue hanging from his mouth. And then when people arrive to visit the church, he follows them inside, even sitting with them in the pews. If anybody tries to stroke him, their hand passes through the dog and he vanishes. Parkwood was once woodland, hence the name, but was cleared for agricultural use in 1965. During that time it was a thick wooded area full of all different types of trees, and a man sadly committed suicide by hanging himself. No one knows who he is, or why he felt so much despair that he took his own life, but his spirit remains in the area. He is described by those who see him as wearing some kind of military uniform, lending to his nickname, the Colonel. He is seen today walking in the area. Elvie Farm is located at the end of a winding lane and is a beautiful farmstead dating from 1496, set in 75 acres of the countryside. It includes a collection of stables and outbuildings dating from the 16th to 18th centuries. There is a plaque at the farm in memory of Flying Officer Oswaldson St John Pig, number 72 squadron RAF, whose Spitfire crashed at the top of the paddock running up from the stables on the 1st of September 1940 at the height of the Battle of Britain. He was just 22 years old. Today it offers accommodation in the form of five recently refurbished letting suites. The farm is believed to be the haunt of a farmer who shot himself in around 1850 when he saw no other way forward. The farm was failing and his wife had left him for another man in the village. The owners of the farm in the 1970s, the Wilmer family, reported regularly seeing a young man in one of the bedrooms. It is said that this was a 19th century farmer recognised by the spectre's head being blown apart by the blast from his shotgun. Situated on a street called The Street, parts of the building which make up the delightful Black Horse Restaurant date back to 1470, when it was a dry molded farmhouse for the Deering family. With its beamed ceilings and Inglenook fireplaces, it has served as a traditional inn for over 300 years. Today it offers visitors a fine dining experience and its very own ghost. The identity of the spirit is a bit of a mystery as it doesn't appear that any of the reports include actually seeing the ghost. Instead, this shy spook makes things vanish right in front of people's eyes. The pub has become famous for things magically disappearing from right in front of people. Items such as wallets, car keys and even coats have all just vanished, before turning up in unexpected places a few days later. This ghost has been nicknamed Jessie. There has been other phenomena over the years which appears to be far too violent to be the work of mischievous Jesse. Leading me to wonder if perhaps there is a second spirit at the black horse. Pine glasses have been thrown from the bar smashing all over the floor. One night when the bar had long since closed, dozens of glasses and bottles were smashed all over in what appears to be some outpouring of rage. On another occasion many years ago, Brand new heavy wooden furniture had been placed into a room and it was thrown around within the room and was severely damaged despite nobody having been in the room where it had been stored. There is a public footpath known locally as Dicky Bus Lane which runs through the site of where a windmill once stood and comes out on a hill just below the Black Horse restaurant. The unofficial name of this footpath is for the final owner of the windmill prior to its ceasing grinding in 1916. He had the mill from 1874. After this time it was used for storage, but it was burned down after being struck by lightning in 1939. This location is home to another story that has several different takes on the tale. In 1920, a schoolmaster from Smarden School hung himself from a tree on the lane. And was found by schoolchildren as they walked to school. In a ghostly reenactment of this tragic event, his body is still reportedly seen today, hanging from the same old tree, wearing a frock coat and striped trousers. Some tellings say that the ghost was that of Dickie Bus himself, but this misconception seems to be due to the name of the location where the swinger man is seen. Other versions of the tale say the schoolmaster was called Henry Turf. But we know from an issue of the London Gazette dated 19th of July 1940 that Henry died on the 11th of April 1940 and he was a retired schoolmaster but he had no ties to Smarden School. One of Pluckley's best known long departed, yet not quite departed, residents is the Watercress woman, the ghost of an old gypsy lady who remains at Pinnock Bridge. In life she would sit on the bridge daily selling watercress that she collected from the stream below. She smoked a pipe and she fell asleep in the early evening summer sun. The embers from her pipe fell into her clothing setting her ablaze. She burned to death right here on Pinnock Bridge and her tortured soul has remained here ever since. She is seen as a misty pink apparition. Near to this location is a house identifiable by a sign high up on the side of the house, which reads Blacksmiths. This 14th century building was originally a blacksmith's forge, before becoming a pub, then in much more recent years it was opened as the blacksmith's forge tea rooms. The building is rumoured to be haunted by two ghosts, a cavalier who was seen in the upstairs rooms, and a Tudor maid who was seen near the fireplace. In late 1997, the owner of the tea rooms was away from the shop front, when she heard somebody enter and move a chair, which she clearly heard scuff across the floor. A second later, she walked through, pen and pad in hand, ready to take their order, but there was nobody there. But the chair she had heard was moved right out, away from the table. It's now a private residence, but the sign on the side of the house remains, from its time as a tea room. We're now at Fright Corner, a crossroads across the Smarden Bell Road which, as you can probably guess with a name like that, is yet another haunted stop along our spooky route. There was once an old hollow oak tree on this corner, which has long since gone, but plays a pivotal role in our story. During the 18th century, highwaymen had been targeting the area around nearby Hothfield Common. A company of soldiers were sent out to put a stop to his robbery. He found himself cornered near what is now Fright Corner, so hid inside the hollow tree, sending his horse on its way. However, his faithful steed didn't get very far and grazed on the grass right next to the tree. One of the soldiers noticed the riderless horse and stopped to investigate the area. He noticed the hollow in the tree and rather than look inside, he drew his sword and ran it right through the tree. As he withdrew his sword there was a loud groan and blood spurted from the newly created holes in the bark. Another version of the same legend has an equally gory outcome for the highwayman, whereby he was captured, nailed to the tree and his head was chopped off. His ghost complete with traditional highwayman outfit is seen in the area where the oak tree once stood. The area of Maltman's Hill is visited by a phantom horse-drawn carriage led by four black horses, and complete with the sound of the clip-clopping of hooves on cobbles, despite the road being tarmac. One witness described the sight as being so real that they could see light pouring in through its windows, and she tried to catch a glimpse of who was inside. It was only afterwards that she realised it hadn't been real. In 1997, a driver almost crashed when they heard the sound of hooves suddenly alongside them, but there was nothing there unrelated to the spectral horse-drawn carriage, but another vehicle-related ghost is that of a report made in 2001 by a taxi driver passing through Pluckley. He said a man at the side of the road flagged him down. He didn't have a fare, so he pulled over and the man climbed in the back of the cab. The driver turned around to ask the man where he wanted to go, but he wasn't there. There was nobody in the back. He'd simply vanished into thin air. Where in this village his experience occurred doesn't appear to have been documented and the name of the taxi driver is unknown. On Maltman's Hill is a large house named the Old Bakery. It dates from the 16th century and was once part of Wheeldon Hall House which was split into a post office and a bakery. In more recent years it was renovated and converted into a large four bedroom house. When it was being worked on an old Victorian fireplace was removed exposing the hearth From that day forth, footsteps would be heard late at night, walking from one of the upstairs rooms across the landing and ending at the location where the fireplace once stood. The house was last sold in 2015 for £500,000. It's a delightful Grade 2 listed building and for the money, not only did the new owners get four bedrooms, four reception rooms, the original exposed timbers and even the old baking ovens in the cellar from the previous life of the house but it appears it may have even came with its very own ghost The last stop on our ghost walk is unquestionably the best-known location in all of Plugley, and possibly the scariest, the dark, dense woodland known as the Screaming Woods. The Screaming Woods is the chilling nickname given to the Deering Woods, a 310 acre forest rich with all manner of flora and fauna. The nickname was coined, as you can probably guess, because of the blood-curdling screaming heard coming from the depths of the woods. Not just at night, but during the daytime too. No one knows for sure who is to blame for the screaming, but local legend is that it is the ghosts of those who got lost within the woods and never made it out. Dying deep within the forest, their bodies never recovered, meaning they can never rest. It's all very Blair Witch, and people flock to the woodland daring to spend a night camping in the very darkest part of the screaming woods. Hoping to hear the screaming as much as dreading it, an equal measure. In April 2019, Kent Live News reported a headline of "Terrifying image taken in Pluckley Woods shows mystery girl gazing at children." The article began, "Anne Marie English and her family went to investigate the screaming woods, and noticed something wasn't quite right when they got home." The article showed photographs taken by Anne Marie and two in particular that the article focuses on. It continues. A mum believes she has spotted ghosts watching her children playing in the screaming woods of Pluckley. Anne-Marie English took her four children and her nephew to Deering Woods at around 3pm on April 20th. It was the first time they had visited the woodland, so the children could investigate the place well known for being haunted for themselves. They left the woods at 5.30pm, but when they got home, she looked through the photos of the day Miss English noticed something wasn't quite right. She said, It was such a nice wooded area. It's beautiful. It wasn't until we got home and I was looking through the photos that I noticed a man stood watching from behind a tree. I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. And then my cousin noticed the little girl in the tree. There's just a little girl looking at the kids playing. She probably died there at some point. My older children were more freaked out by it. We didn't see anything when we were there, and if it was anything sinister, it would have showed itself while we were there. I would have had the kids running out of there very quickly if we saw something. She finishes by saying, I believe in ghosts, and I think we scare ourselves into believing in them. So the article shows two photographs, which I've posted on the Instagram at How Haunted Pod. One of which shows a girl inside of a tree, looking at the kids playing, and the other shows a man behind a tree watching them. Please let me know what you see. As I level with you, I really can't see anything out of the ordinary in either of these photographs. And that brings us to the end of your tour of Haunted Pluckley, which I hope you've enjoyed. As you can probably tell from the colourful backstories to some of these stories, some of the tales having multiple versions, and barely anything I've told you having documented historical evidence to back it up, There's every chance that, dare I say, most of these stories are likely nothing more than that. Stories. An accusing finger is pointed in the direction of broadcaster and actor Desmond Carrington, who had a show on BBC Radio 2 for 35 years and once lived in Pluckley. He is said to have admitted to making some of them up for a TV Times article published in the 1950s. Frederick Sanders is linked to the origins of The Highwayman and The Watercress Woman as they first appeared in his 1955 book, Pluckley Was My Playground, a memoir of his childhood in Pluckley during the years 1919 to 1926. Or, perhaps Carrington and Sanders were simply retelling stories that had previously only been known to those local to Pluckley, and they're blamed because they were the first to share it with those outside of this delightful little village. It's for you to make your own mind up. Could Pluckley really be the most haunted village in Britain? There's only one way to find out. Thank you so much for joining me for this ghost walk of Pluckley village. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at @howhauntedpod or over on Instagram at @howhauntedpod where you will see photos glow relating to Pluckley village. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location, suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you'll join me on an actual paranormal investigation and you'll hear the audio as it happened. There's five episodes of this nature waiting for you right now. If you want not a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find how haunted. Next time out, we're headed to Ireland, and in particular Dublin, where atop a hill is a building dating from 1725, which was once a men's club, where they would meet in secret. It was a place of ritual and sacrifice, and on more than one occasion, it was visited by no other than the devil himself. The club that once met here may be no more, but the spirits trapped here forever remain, a reminder of the debauchery that occurred on this site. These manifest in many ways, including shadows flitting throughout the building, the sound of a woman screaming, and even visitors feeling themselves being strangled by unseen hands. Is this the most haunted location in all of Ireland? Let's find out together next week, when we visit the Hellfire Club of Mount Pellier Hill. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted?